I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level and the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome to episode 21 of HR Coffee Time, a podcast to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without working yourself into the ground. I'm your host, Faye Wallace, a career coach with a background in HR and the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. My guest for this episode today is Sharon Peake, who has done some fantastic work when it comes to promoting gender diversity and empowering women within organisations to reach and succeed in leadership roles. And if this is something you're interested in, I'd really recommend taking a look at her white paper, which is called Three Barriers to Women's Progression, What Organisations Can Do. I'll put a link to it in the show notes and it is fantastic reading. After I read it, I actually asked for it to be made required reading on the coaching course that I had done most recently at that time, because I just think it's a message that's powerful for everybody to hear and be aware of. But... Sharon is here today to talk about networking, which means that this episode is the final one in my series of episodes about networking. I can't promise that I won't ever do any more, but I think that this one rounds off all of the episodes you've heard so far about networking. It rounds it off nicely. And so she's specifically going to talk about the eight people you need in your network for a successful career. I really hope you enjoy it and that it gets you thinking. Sharon, it is so wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me, Faye. You're very welcome. And it would be great before we launch into all of the questions I have for you, if you could just tell the audience who you are and a little bit about the work that you do at Shape Talents. Sure. So I am an occupational psychologist and a coach, and I'm also the CEO and founder of Shape Talent 
which is a gender equality consulting business that I set up five years ago. And we work uh, predominantly with multinationals to help achieve greater gender balance at the top. We do that through consulting and we also do that through our women's development programs, which I think is the link here today, because one of the topics on our women's development programs is strategic networking. Yes, and I can't wait to hear all about it. So we've known each other for a little while now, haven't we? And um, the the link is fantastic because you're going to very generously share a lot of your expertise around networking. And it's actually because of your brilliant networking that we know each other. I know, it's a, it's a lovely story, isn't it? We met, of course, at a networking event and we did what I do with a, a lot of people in my network, actually, is we set up a, a nice routine of having virtual coffees on a regular basis. And so I think it's been a couple of years now, hasn't it, of virtual coffees? I think it's it must have been at least three or four years. And so in that time, I've got to hear so much about the brilliant work that you do that I'm really excited we'll be able to take a deep dive into it today. And you wrote a fantastic blog, an article that's on your website, and I'll share a link to it in the show notes, that's all about the eight critical people that you need to have in your network. So I would love to know how you came up with this idea that there are eight people you can identify and try to actively make sure you have within your network. Yeah, sure. So we um, we run women's development programs, as you heard me say before. And so over time, we've had lots and lots of feedback from women in particular about networking. Um, as psychologists, we take an evidence-based approach to our models. So I borrowed here from the wonderful work of Professor Herminia Ibarra. She's a professor at London Business School. Um, prior to that, she was at INSEA and, and Harvard. And she's identified three types of networks that you need. So the, um, the operational network, the growth network, the strategic network, and we've just taken that a step further by saying there are certain roles in each of those networks that are really important. And so that's the eight roles that uh, you saw in the blog. And I know this is part of your women's development programme, as you mentioned. I, I also know that the vast majority of people who listen to the podcast are women. That might be slightly a reflection on the fact that HR as a profession is quite heavily dominated by women. But I do have some male listeners as well. So I'm assuming that although this whole concept has been created and developed for your programme, that it applies equally for men as well. Absolutely, yes. So without a doubt, it applies equally. The, the reason we include it in our women's networking, uh, sorry, our women's development programmes is that we know from research that women find it harder to build the strong networks, particularly networks with people in positions of power. So it's more of a barrier, more of a challenge for women than it is for men. However, the, the types of networks, the people that you need apply equally. And any men listening to this podcast, I hope will get great value from this also. Ah, oh, so I'm already going to go off script and not ask you the first question that I have. <laughs> That's intriguing. So I know you could probably talk about this for ages, but top level, why is it harder for women to access those networks or create those networks? So there's a couple of reasons for that. So first of all, as human beings, we're, we're creatures of habit and we have our own biases, our own unconscious biases. So we tend to associate with people that are like us. So lots of research findings show that networks tend to be segregated by gender um, and also, interestingly, by race as well. So we, we tend to hang out with people like us. So if you're a 
a man who has a senior leadership position, you're probably more likely to have men in powerful positions as part of your network. If you're a woman who's not in a leadership position, you're less likely to have those people in your network. So there's there's something about human biases that get in the way. There's another real barrier that, that happens for women around time. And we hear this over and over again in our women's development programs. I just don't have the time to do all of this extracurricular networking and meeting people. I've got a busy job and we all have busy jobs, of course, but women disproportionately have more responsibilities at home the men and, and we've got lots of data to back that up so it often gets deprioritized by women also so that's the second reason that women don't tend to have the broader networks that we often find men have that's so interesting to hear thank you it's great to have a bit more of an insight around that so I can go back onto this well it's not the script it's for anyone listening <laughs> um I I have given Sharon a heads up on the questions I was thinking of asking because I found now having done quite a few interviews that actually it works much better that way if we both know or have an idea of what we're going to be talking about. So to really start diving in then, can you talk us through these eight people and why you think they're so critical? Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the first of the three networks that Herminia Ibarra talks about, which is the operational network. So these are, this is a network full of people who basically help you to do your current job. And there's two roles in there that uh, we think are really important. And the first is having experts. So they might be um, market experts, industry experts, functional experts, experts in whatever domain you're operating in. And these are people that, that kind of know their stuff, people that you can reach out to for specific expertise um, in, your, in your role or in your industry or in your function. So having a wide range of experts is, is super helpful. So that's the first role. The second role in this category is what we call navigators. And these are the people who um, just know how to navigate the organisation. They might be well connected. They know um, what's going on. They know who to talk to if you need more information. And this is particularly helpful if you're starting a new job. Having a few navigators around you really helps you to come up to speed as quickly as possible. So in that operational network, we're saying you need some experts and you need some navigators. Okay, fantastic. And let's move on to the next one then. So who fits into the growth category? So the, the growth network is really people who help you achieve your professional development. So we all have professional development aspirations or, or goals. And these are the people that can help you on, on the way there. So there are three roles that we think are super important here. And the first is to have a mentor or perhaps mentors, plural. Um, I, I think that the concept of having one all-knowing mentor in your life is, mm. is an old concept these days. I think um, many of us have multiple people who uh, provide mentoring maybe in different ways. So a person or, or many people who can provide mentoring. So someone experienced that you can learn from, who can give advice and guide you. So that's the first role. The second role is what I call challengers. And these are people who just bring a different perspective. They've got a different way of thinking through things. Maybe they've got different experiences. They can challenge your thinking. They can help you to come up with better ideas and, and better strategies. So that could be, um, it could be a coach, uh, it could be a colleague, it could be a friend, it could be a family member, it doesn't really matter who it is, but someone who thinks outside the box and who cares about your professional development. 
And then the third role is what we call an accountability partner. So this is basically someone who's going to keep you on track and keep you accountable for your own goals and um, your own professional development aspirations. So this, again, could be a coach. It might also be your manager um, or perhaps it could be a, a close friend or maybe even your partner. So not all of these roles need to be filled in the workplace, but what's more important is that you have people that are filling these roles, the mentor, the challenger, the accountability partner. Brilliant. So that brings us on to the final category, which is strategic, your strategic network. Can you let us know about that? Yeah. And this is the network that most women we speak with kind of shudder a little bit and say, oh, I don't think I do this bit so well. So this is the harder, harder network to build and maintain, but it is um, in many ways the most important. So your strategic network is full of the people who help you figure out and achieve your future priorities. So it, it may be around career growth and development, but it could also be, you know, helping you to win new business or, you know, capitalise on some sales opportunities. So these are people, um, there's three roles here that we think are important. The first one is um, my favourite. These are the connectors. So Connectors are people that just know everyone. And I think we all know people who fall into this category. Um, so these are people who are well connected, they're credible, they're more senior to you, they can make meaningful introductions with other people outside your network when you need them. And I've got a kind of a lovely story of someone in my network who helped me um, save me from making a really bad career mistake because he was a connector. You know, many years ago now, I was offered a offered a job um, and I was debating on whether to accept it. And the woman that I was going to report to was kind of pleasant enough, but I just sensed something wasn't quite right. There was a, a feeling of unease that I had about working for her. And so first thing I did is I went on to LinkedIn to see if anyone I knew knew her and nobody did. And so then I thought, who do I know that's really well connected? And I reached out to an old boss and I said, do you happen to know this woman? And he said, I don't know her personally, but I know her by reputation and it's not positive. However, I know two women who have reported to her in the past. I'm going to introduce you, have a conversation, have a kind of confidential conversation with them. And because he had introduced us and he knew them well and they trusted him, they had a very honest conversation with me. And basically both of them said, run for the hills. Don't ever work for that woman. She's terrible. Um, so that saved me from making a really big career mistake. So it's an example of a, a connector in a time when a connector can be super, super important in your network. So you only need a few of them. You know, a handful of connectors is sometimes enough. But, you know, building up your connectors is really, really valuable. So sorry, yeah. we're off on a bit of a tangent there. <laughs> no, it's the... <laughs> it's great to hear your personal story. I think it really helps to bring these things to life. And I know I've certainly got connectors in my network as well. If I think a job that I was in for years, actually, it was one of my school friends who worked there and invited me well, basically convinced her boss that I should definitely be working there. And then that very, so my friend's called Lucy. And um, so she got me that job. And then years later, when I set up Bright Sky Career Coaching and became a career coach, she got me my very first client. It's oh, really, wow. yeah, it's really interesting to see how there are just some people who are absolutely brilliant at kind of connecting the dots and making those introductions. And so I can see she's been a key person in my life. And um, since then, there have been lots of other people as well. So 
I, I love this. I'm sure everyone listening will suddenly have a little light bulb going off thinking, oh yes, I, I know who a connector is in my yeah, organization. Absolutely. They're often someone you can go to for, for recommendations on a huge range of things because you know that they know so many people. Exactly, exactly. And so they are super powerful in your network. So as I say, you don't need everyone to be a connector, but you just need a few of them in your network. So you're not relying on the same people and you're giving yourself the greatest possible exposure to expanding your network. Um, and just as a, a slight aside here, one thing that's um, helpful to bear in mind is your network doesn't always need to be full of people who you're really close to. There's some really interesting research around close ties and weak ties and how most of us get jobs through our weak tie connections. So the people that we don't know so well, and the, the reason for that is the people that you're close to, you kind of, if you're like swimming in the same pool of information and, and swimming in the same circles, but the weaker ties that you don't know so well have access to whole other networks and contacts that you don't have. So having weak ties and strong ties, both of them is, is super important across the network. That's something I've always uh, saying to either my career change clients who want to change careers or outplacement support and career transition clients who are looking for a new role. And I think a lot of the time people can feel uncomfortable about reaching out into those weak ties, the people they may not may not know so well for help. And in fact, there's one person I really remember vividly who I helped a few years ago. He was looking to completely change career and he wanted to become a project manager and he also wanted to be working in the not-for-profit sector, specifically supporting people who were facing homelessness. So he was very clear on what he wanted to do. Wow. But his role prior to that had been completely different. He'd had his own car rental hire company. So completely, completely different, you know, no crossover at all. And he was feeling really despondent about, well, how am I going to make this change? And I said, oh my God, you know so many people. Just from having him chat to me, I could see that he had these huge networks and um, he was very involved in his church community as well as lots of other initiatives and having friends. And he was very skeptical about this idea as lots of people are, and I understand that mm. it's a bit scary a lot of the time. But lo and behold, he, he got a project manager job working within an organization where he would be um, supporting people facing homelessness. And wow. it, was from someone, it was from someone in the church congregation who overheard him telling somebody else that he would really like to make this change. Um, they worked for the organization and said, oh, well, why don't you just come in and have a chat with us? It's amazing, oh, isn't, isn't it? That, isn't that a fabulous story? You know, overhearing a conversation and that's, you know, there's a, a bit of serendipity in there, of mm. course, but there's something to be said for making your aspirations known to your network because ultimately you never know who might have a connection that could help you. Absolutely. Gosh, we really lasered in on connectors, <laughs> haven't we? We better move yeah. on to the other people as well. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're talking about the third bucket of um, networks, the strategic networks. So I said there were three roles. The first one, connectors, we've, we've talked about. The other two roles here are sponsors and key bearers. So let me talk about sponsors first. Sponsors are uh, like an extension of mentors. Sponsors are people who will use their, their power and their profile to help you, to help raise your visibility, to help raise your profile um, and to, to champion you to important people. 
So sponsors typically tend to be within your organization rather than outside. And they typically uh, tend to be in more senior roles than you, maybe one, probably even two levels more senior to you. So um, having people that sponsor you is super important. We know that sponsorship really matters when it comes to senior leadership levels. So making sure you've got people who will champion you behind closed doors is a, a really important thing to do. Sometimes these people will start out as mentors. Um, it's hard to be a sponsor if you don't know the person and trust the person. So often they'll start as a mentor and then might evolve into a sponsor. So that's the, the seventh of the, the eight roles. And the last one um, I call a key bearer. And I have this vision as we, we kind of named these roles of an old um, groundsman. And it's your vision is of a, a man with a bunch of keys on his hip walking around an old school with a key to open kind of all of the classrooms and all of the doors and offices. Um, and the key bearers are people who can provide you access to the resources that you need. So that might be budget, it might be information, it might be people's time. And key bearers don't necessarily need to be senior people. They, they may be, of course, um, many of them will be. But I often find executive assistants are great key bearers. They're the people that can get you into someone's diary or not. And so having some, some of those people who um, can open up doors and provide access is also really, really important. I have a question about sponsors. Sure. So I, I love hearing about all of these roles, absolutely. Um, the sponsor one, though, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I was very, very fortunate in my last role to have a sponsor and it made it had a huge impact. It really accelerated my career and what I wanted to be doing at work. But I just felt very lucky that that happened organically, really. I happened to work with him on some hiring. He needed to hire some new people into his team. And from that, he said, I don't understand. Why aren't you doing more? <laughs> well, he saw potential in me to be actually expanding beyond the duties I had there and then. And he said, this just seems like madness. I'm going to go and talk to your boss right now. And he literally walked out <laughs> the room and went in and sat down oh, and spoke wow. with her. And it, it had a really big impact. So I was incredibly fortunate that that happened. But so what, what about for people who are listening to this saying, well, no, hang on a minute. I haven't been lucky enough to have that happen to me. And there isn't a formal sponsorship program within the organization I work in. How, how do I do this? How do I find yeah. a sponsor? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a question that comes up all the time. And with sponsorship, the thing is you don't always know if you've got a sponsor because they won't always be as overt as, as that man was. And what a, a wonderful story of walking right out of the room straight to your boss's office. I love that. Um, sometimes these conversations, well, often these conversations are going on behind closed doors. So they're happening in promotion discussions and talent review discussions. Um, and so you don't know who's speaking up for you. You don't know who's sponsoring you. But what you can do is a couple of things. And if, um, what I would never say is go and ask someone to be a sponsor because sponsorship takes a relationship of trust before it works. No one's going to sponsor you if they don't implicitly know your work, what you can deliver, what your strengths are, what your gaps are. It's too much of a risk of their reputation to kind of advocate for you if they don't know what you're capable of. So you need to know the person well. So I often say don't ask for a sponsor, ask for a mentor. 
but be deliberate and strategic about that. So find someone in in your organization who is in the area that ultimately you want to develop into because they've got to have power in the place that's going to be relevant to you. Um, so find someone, ask them if they'll be a mentor and then build that relationship of trust so that organically they can turn into more of a sponsor. And I wonder if that's what happened in your case, Faith, is through working closely with that this individual, he got to know the quality of your work. So he felt that he could advocate on your behalf. Yes, I think you're right. And that's such helpful advice. Also, I suppose for anyone listening to this, because obviously everyone listening, oh, pretty much everyone listening works in HR. As you were speaking, it made me think there's a real opportunity here as well, actually, within our own organisations to do some sort of educational programme or training or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of totally winging this around sponsorship so people understand what it is and what an impact they can have. Like when yeah. I went, he, he was called Steve, the lovely man who inadvertently became my sponsor. I, I remember going to thank him and I actually started crying, which may not shock you, Sharon, as uh, <laughs> I cry fairly easily. I was so appreciative of what he had done and he was really taken aback. He'd had no idea that he would have that much of an impact on my career, really. Yeah. So I, for anyone listening, it would be great just to maybe start thinking about actually, how can we get people thinking about this within our organisation? How can yeah. we get them thinking about the fact that they can be mentors, they can be sponsors, and just the phenomenal impact that can have on the people that they're supporting? Absolutely. In fact, one of the things that we do almost as a matter of cause with the clients that we work with is implement a sponsorship program. Um, most organisations don't have one, they've never heard of one, they'll have lots of mentoring programmes, but very few have sponsorship programmes. And so what we look to do is to educate educate um, leaders about what sponsorship is and invite them to become sponsors and they kind of go on a journey they start as mentors and then over time it evolves into more of a sponsorship relationship but I you know I would um, advocate to anyone who's listening to think about that think about putting in place a sponsorship program because it it matters and in fact there's some really interesting statistics um, that come from I think the Centre of Talent um, Innovation who found that Men are 25% more likely than women to have sponsors, uh, just naturally, not, not kind of in a formal capacity, but informally having people who will speak up for them. But when it comes to senior level roles, men are 50% more likely than women to have sponsors. So putting in place a program that helps to kind of give everyone that opportunity in a more balanced way can be super helpful. I'm trying to not get extremely depressed by those statistics and think, okay, no, it's fine. We can do something about it through this work. <laughs> and you, and def definitely, you know, I think awareness raising here is the key. So not to depress anyone or to make anyone despondent. There are lots of very practical things, you know, like sponsorship programs that people listening to this can put in place pretty easily. Wonderful. Okay. I'm so aware that I've suddenly done a deep dive with you asking you to talk about particular roles. I better pull things back so that we look at all of those eight roles at once if we can. And I guess my question around that is for someone listening to this, they may be thinking, oh yes, Sharon's making a lot of sense. These do seem like key roles that I, for people that I should have in my network, but uh, I've only got a couple of people in my network who really fit within those roles. What on earth do I do to, to try and take action from this point? 
Well, for, for anyone that's having that sensation now, what I would say to you is you're not alone. <laughs> you're absolutely not alone. We've run um, this workshop oh, probably 10 times in the last year and over and over participants say, I've got lots of people in my operational network, but I've got no one in my strategic network or maybe fewer people in my growth network. So, so that's a very common starting point. So don't worry if that's the case. First thing we always suggest to people is just do a quick audit. So write down the eight roles and do a bit of a brainstorm. Sit down for an hour, work out who you've got and where your gaps are. Uh, you don't need to write down everyone you know. Use maybe that um, what Robin Dunbar of Oxford University calls the bar test. If you were to walk into a bar and bump into someone you hadn't seen for a while, would you feel comfortable having a conversation and a drink with them? Kind of use that as a way of narrowing down. You don't need to list everyone you've ever met, but where are your gaps? So do an order, work out where your gaps are, and then you can think through what are some of the ways that you might reach out to people. So where are the gaps? What connectors do you have? They're a great place to start. Who can they introduce you to that might help to fill some of the gaps that you have in your network, for example? I love the um, bar test. That sounds great. Uh, as you were saying, <laughs> I was thinking, oh, yes, who would, I, who would I put on there then, I wonder? Yeah. And I've covered this for anyone listening who's only just discovered the podcast or maybe hasn't listened to all of the episodes. This episode is actually the last in a series of episodes about networking. So if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, it all feels a bit scary. I, I don't know if I want to do it. It's totally outside of my comfort zone. I would just say, oh gosh, please don't worry. Go back and have a listen to some of the other episodes. There's one specifically on how to feel more confident about networking. And I'll make sure I link to it in the show notes as well. But it would be great to hear your perspective as well, Sharon. So for anyone listening who thinks, oh, no, it's it's not for me. This just feels too uncomfortable. I don't know how to do it. What would you say to them to make it feel less daunting? So the first thing I would say is I think the best networking is done in an authentic way. So often uh, people can feel networking is a, almost a dirty word. It's a bit kind of manipulative or sleazy or kind of untoward. And it absolutely doesn't need to be. Um, Faye, you know me well, um, and, and I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but a lot of people call me a a sociable introvert. So I am by nature more introverted. I hate going to big events and making small talk and handing out business cards and ugh, there's nothing I would prefer to do less than that. But I'm quite sociable. I like people. I like having conversations, but I'm better building relationships one-on-one. -on -one. So I, my approach to networking is, is doing it in a way that suits me, which is um, meeting people one-on-one, -on -one. a bit like how we did, actually. We, we met at an event and then we started to get to know each other through virtual coffees one-on-one. -on -one. I do a lot of that. And in fact, some of my team now, some of my extended team are people that I met through LinkedIn and did exactly the same thing. We just got to know them over time one-on-one. -on -one. So wh whatever works for you, if you're a bit like me and you kind of don't like the idea of big group networking, then just find a way that suits you. If you are someone that likes the big groups, then then do more of that. But the best advice I can give is just do what feels natural and authentic to you because otherwise it's going to feel like hard work and otherwise you're going to put it off and not do it. So just do it in a way that feels natural. I'm sure that would be really helpful for anyone listening who's having a bit of a wobble about all of this. 
and then I can see that there might be a temptation with this list of eight people to just want to focus on one of the groups of people, maybe one where you've already got some people in your network or that feel particularly relevant for you and where you are in your career right now. So is that okay? Or is it really important that we're actually thinking, right, I need to make sure I've got these eight people in my network all the time? Well, I, th I think there's some pragmatism that we all need to apply to network and we all have busy lives and, and busy roles and, you know, we don't have time to go and um, fill all of the gaps in our network and to do them immediately next week. So I think some level of prioritisation makes sense and to do it slowly but surely. The one thing I would um, perhaps suggest to people is that you, you remember that networking is a long-term investment and it takes time to build a strong network. You don't meet someone at an event or meet them on LinkedIn or have one virtual coffee and suddenly they're close enough to be able to kind of be a helpful part of your network. It takes time, you know, you need to invest time. So if you put off some elements of your network, for example, the, the people in the strategic network or even your growth network, if you're too focused on the easy stuff, your operational network, then when it comes time to needing to move roles or to do something different, it can be much harder if you haven't over time been building up those other parts of your network. So I would always recommend just a, a slow but steady approach. If you don't have time, if it's a bit overwhelming to try and do it all at once, just pick one or two roles or um, whatever time you have each week, allocate half an hour a week to do just to take a couple of steps that start to you know plug your gaps. I used to have a routine, which admittedly I'm not in now, but I used to have a routine of half an hour every morning. It was a recurring diary reminder to just nurture and build my network. So I would go onto LinkedIn. I would connect with a couple of people I didn't know. I would send messages to people I hadn't spoken to for a long time. And it might only be half a dozen or 10 messages that I um, did each day. But over time, I grew my network from 1,000 people to now over 9,000, and it was just slow and steady. There was nothing kind of dramatic about it. Every little bit of nurturing and time investment helps. And even to this day, I'm, I, I have probably about four or five people who I regularly meet up with for virtual coffees, including your good self, Faye. Um, I feel honoured. I'm one of those people. <laughs> But I have you know, four, always got four or five on the go, people that I'm also building relationships with, knowing that not knowing where it will go. Sometimes that's helpful, sometimes it's not. But, but so many of those um, relationships have proved to be um, so meaningful and valuable that I know there's, it's worth doing overall. So just think long term about it is my advice. Don't be put off by a busy workload. Just find whatever time you have to just slowly and steadily plug away so that when you need the network, uh, you've got it. I absolutely love those tips because they're so practical and easy to implement. Thank you ever so much for sharing them. And as you were saying about the fact that you and I have these virtual coffees, I thought I should actually share how we make sure we keep doing those. So whenever Sharon and I get to the end of our virtual coffee, we say, right, okay, let's, let's put in a time for the next one because there's such a danger. I mean, we're, we're both busy. I know you're phenomenally busy that actually we could say, oh, that was really nice. I'll arrange that again soon. And then yeah. soon never happens because yeah. you just get so swept up uh, with everything else that's going on with work and life. 
So at the end of our chat, every single time we put a time in the calendar, whether that's for a couple of months time or if it's a particularly busy spell, not for a few months, but it doesn't matter. And it, it means that we have managed to stay in touch. I should look up when we first started doing this. I can't remember exactly how long it's been, but it must have been, I think it has been about four years, which is incredible. Yeah, probably. So hopefully that's also a helpful tip for anyone listening, thinking, oh, how, how can I keep the momentum going with this? And so thinking of the time, I could keep you here all day, but I know that you have got lots of other things to be doing today. So we'll start to wrap things up. As you know, I always ask my guests for a book recommendation. So it would be brilliant to hear what yours is. So I'm going to go to um, Professor Herminia Ibarra, who I referenced earlier, and she has a, a book called Working Identity, which is an old book, but a fabulous book. And I, um, I recommend it so often to coaching clients. It's um, the title is Working Identity, Unconventional Strategies for Reinventing Your Career. And essentially what she advocates for is to test out your authentic self, to experiment quite playfully with who you are, to work out what it is that you like and want to do, particularly as you're looking to change career. Um, so big fan of that book, would recommend it wholeheartedly. I've got that on my bookshelf and I haven't read it for years. So actually that's going to give me a nudge to read it again. Thank <laughs> you so much. That's brilliant. And then for anyone listening today who thinks, oh my goodness, I just love hearing about the work that Sharon does. I would love to know more about it. What's the best way of them getting in touch with you or for learning more about the work that you do? Yeah, sure. So um, easiest thing is to go to our website, shapetalent.com. You can see um, see a lot more about what we do uh, and connect with me on LinkedIn. I love um, connecting on LinkedIn. So Sharon Peak, uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn. And I'll make sure I put those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's been wonderful to talk to you about networking today. Thank you so much, Faye. And that brings us to the end of this episode. If you've only just discovered the podcast, I'd recommend listening back to episode 15, which is how networking can help your career. Episode 16, which is how to become more confident about networking. And episode 11, which is networking, the three most important networks for your career. They're slightly different to the three networks that Sharon talked about today, but there's definitely similarities there. And I also have some exciting news. Well, it's exciting for me. Hopefully it will be exciting for you as well. I've decided to go ahead and create a group coaching program for you, which will mean that you get one-on-one -on -one coaching support from me, but you'll also get to network with and build relationships with other HR professionals who will be in the group with us as well. So at the moment, I'm thinking of it being quite a small group, so six to eight people, as that will really give us the chance to all get to know each other really well. I'm still finalising all of the details and I promise to share them with you soon, as soon as I have them all finished off. So if you enjoyed hearing Sharon talking about the eight people to have in your network, this could be a great way of filling in any of the gaps that you might have at the moment. I promise that the group will give you accountability, challenge if you'd like challenge, and most importantly, lots of support to help you succeed in your career and overcome any blocks that may be standing in your way. Have a great week and I will be back again next Friday.